Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into a number of UK equities. But before we do that, we're going to be looking at some of the themes driving markets out there at the moment. And to do that, we're very kindly joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you much for being with us this morning. Morning, John. Good to be back. So, Alan, it's a particularly interesting market that we're looking at at the moment in the FTSE 100 and and not so much from the movement that it's displaying because it, it seems to have really got itself in a comfortable range on the upside we're looking at about 8000 uh, maybe a little bit over on the downside we're going down to around um 7850 where the buyers are coming back in so with all of the news coming out about central banks looking at global growth figures of course we had some bumper data from the united states very recently but we still have persistent inflation it looks as though there's some indecision in markets. We saw a very strong rally from the lows of last year, but it looks as though now we're probably going to be in a period of sideways trading. There's a number of factors at play here. Of course, as I mentioned, there's interest rates. There's going to be the trajectory of inflation rates as well as company earnings. That's going to be very important, I feel, for this year when we start to see any deterioration in the economy, if we do see it, it's going to be particularly important to note company earnings. And so far, generally from the first two months of this year, earnings have been relatively stable. So from your point of view, if if we're looking at this quite tight range in the FTSE 100 at the moment, Alan, do you feel it's going to be a break to the upside and really kick on above 8,000? Or do you think in the short term we could see a break below that 7,850 level? I think we're going to see some uncertainty. Uh, it, uh, we have the old adage in the stock market, of course, uh, go away in May. So we may see, uh, I think, further progress from the uh, domestic index uh, in the run up to Easter. Most likely it'll quieten after that. And then and then I think we'll see a period of stagnation uh, around May and June time uh, before we, we start to see the uh, the, uh, the the earnings uh, earnings from the majors uh, as, as we move towards the end of the year. But of course, we've um, there, there are plenty of factors that are in the mix that could uh, that could well uh, come to uh, come to have a bearing on this uh, news out today. Of course, record UK food inflation adds well over 800 quid to the annual food bill for average families. So so these are concerns and these, are, these of course, impact on sentiment in the markets. If people think that, uh, there's, that food inflation is going to rise, um, uh, there, there's a, a pinch at the tills, there's uh, there are knock-on, knock-on effects into leisure spending and all of those factors. So we've got this uh, cocktail, and as I think we said uh, Last week, uh, John, you know, the markets have to climb this wall of worry. But I think climb their will because we've seen the FTSE already break break above 8,000. Um, and I think uh, it's set to do that again. I, uh, I I don't see too much on the horizon 
uh, apart from, of course, an escalation in the, the Ukraine war that could uh, have a bearing on the on the outlook. But, uh, but certainly, I think we're going to see further progress from the FTSE 100 before uh, a period of stagnation, probably in, in, uh, in, in mid-quarter two this year. So, yeah, the old adage, go away in May, I think is going to hold strong for this year. Yeah, so that really ties in with the comments that we've seen from central banks recently. They've said that they're going to be continuing, especially if you're looking at the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England, with their rate hikes for the foreseeable future. But you know, there is a consensus building in markets that they may have two hikes in them, maybe three. It's obviously down to what happens in the underlying economy to the extent of the rate hikes, whether it's going to be 25 basis points or 50 basis points. So that's a point that people are really going to be looking at markets and thinking, okay, this is now what the central banks are going to be doing. Hmm. And we're not in a situation where we can get any foresight on that. It's going to be something that we just have to wait and see. And I think this range bound element in, in markets and you know, slightly less volatility that we've been accustomed to over the last few months may persist until we see um, further action and further hints of how the rest of 2023 will play out uh, from central banks. And we were, we were talking about inflation all last year. Uh, that's quietened down to some extent. And it's really now on global growth. I think it's, it's all about the growth figures and what that means for underlying company earnings going forward. So we've had a raft of updates from companies generally quite good. Um, some could have been better. I mean, the UK banks are a sector that could have been slightly uh, better. Miners weren't fantastic, but still robust. But they weren't wildly away from analyst expectations. So that's why we've seen that benign environment coming in to markets. But do expect, as you say, Alan, as we progress through April, especially and into May, I think that's when things can get a little bit more interesting in markets. So we were talking about company earnings. We've got uh, one company, FTSE 250 company in Travis Perkins. It's a particularly interesting company because it gives a good insight into the overall construction activity in the UK. There's a huge uh, wealth effect when you look at the, the housing market. We're seeing softening prices. But what is a good indication, of, to some extent, a forward indication of activity here is basically how many um, bricks are being sold and how many um, bags of cement are being sold. And this is something that Travis Perkins can give us an insight into. Alan, so what's the key takeaways from their results this morning? Okay, uh, just to touch on your early point, John, before we get to Travis Perkins, of course, uh, we we spoke about uh, the global inflation uh, picture. Um, It peaked last year. It's expected to decline to 6.5% this year. So I think uh, you, you, you said quite rightly, of course, we're seeing uh, markets uh, behave in a, in a more benign manner. Um, 6.5% target this year would would, would reflect uh, probably where, where, where we're seeing markets move to now. And uh, inflation back to 4.5%, four four just, just over 4% uh, in 2024. So, yeah, I, I think that's, um, that's good visibility. It's, it's giving... It, it, it's it's giving uh, markets uh, something to sort of get hold of, but but certainly on the earnings front, um, uh, in, ter- in terms of uh, 
companies that are seeking uh, spend from the consumer, that's something of, of a conundrum. And I think we're starting to see that uncertainty, the effects of inflation creep into uh, the the earnings of companies reporting at present. And of course, uh, uh, Travis Perkins' uh, numbers out today. But interesting, last week, uh, broker Liberum downgraded Travis Perkins' from hold or, or to hold from from a buy stance and uh, it uh, reduced its uh, its uh, price target to 960p and of course the shares trading ahead of that uh, uh, um, before the before the announcement today but uh, it uh, Liberum said I think you know I, I, I think this is worth echoing they expect the housing markets to soften on raised mortgage rates and low confidence um, but Travis of course has a good track record of cutting overheads uh, to, to, to meet uh, demand or to meet uh, falling demand and it can quickly reduce its inventories and uh, and cut down on its uh, capital expenditure to protect its, its strong balance sheet but um, interesting it's pulled its hold it's uh, it's rating back there from buy to hold but um, the the numbers today of course the uh, adjusted operating profits fell by 16 and a half percent um, largely down, uh, well, I say largely, uh, it was also hit by a 15 million restructuring charge. Uh, operating profits down to four, uh, 295 million. Revenues, however, up uh, just under 10% to 4.9 billion. So that, there's, there are the effects of cost inflation right there. Shares, of course, have uh, dipped slightly. We've seen shares, uh, shares fall just, uh, just under 3% uh, this morning. But um, the company said uh, that uh, they've made some difficult decisions in response to the weaker trading environment. Uh, they're looking forward at market trends. You know, looking at what the IMF is saying, for example. You know, what the what the likely sentiment is going to be amongst consumers, because of course uh, it reflects the uh, the the willingness of people to spend money to to uh, to uh, develop their homes or, or or build extensions or do home improvements, and of course all of that's uh, feeds into their profits. Likewise, the building trade as well. Of course, if they're winning new contracts and uh, and booked up, that means they have a, a, a solid supply of materials. But uh, we have this cost inflation uh, and also shortages as well in some materials. So that's going to have an impact. Of course, uh, the private domestic uh, market and also the, the new build market too. Um, but uh, product cost inflation is expected to moderate into uh, as we go through the year, but um, there's the the company says it ha- it doesn't see any notable deflation on manufactured products in the near term, and expects to see the the, the sort of cost that we're seeing at the moment uh, 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 maintained for the year. So if we then look at the the price action, of course the shares are off a year low of seven oh seven p, and that was hit back in August last year, so they recovered quite strongly. Um, and of course, the, the the stock pays a three point seven percent dividend yield. So probably uh, the Liberum stance is about right. I think uh, if I held the shares, which I don't currently, if I held the shares, I would hold on, uh, collect the dividend, um, and uh, and uh, just see see where how the markets and the 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 macro backdrop uh, it developed over the year. But certainly, would I buy them now? No, I'd probably sit on my hands and and wait to see if. Uh, uh, and, and wait and look out for a further fall in inflation before I made a move. Yeah, I mean, th- this this is one company that on, on so many different levels is dictated about what, what happens with 
inflation, of course, you've got the cost of inflation, and then we've got the impact on the overall housing market hmm. uh, from inflation and the resultant decisions from central banks and their changes to interest rates. So this is this is one that if we do see any weakness throughout the summer due to economic deterioration, this is probably going to be one that suffers. But in the long term, it's a facilitator of the UK housing market, as we discussed about on numerous occasions. Uh, Alan is one that is in a long term bull trend. We're going to see blips in it along the way. And any blips may be a buying opportunity, not only for Travis Perkins, but the rest of the sector that's involved in UK residential construction. So moving on now, Alan, we're going to discuss Cadence Minerals. There's been a broken note out this morning from Kemeny Capital that's given it a 43.6 pence fair value target. There's been a lot happening at Cadence in recent months, Alan. So what's what's been happening there? Well, there certainly has, John. And of course, Cadence have have a broad portfolio of uh, of investments into uh, uh, battery and energy metals projects, um, uh, as well as, of course, the flagship Amapa iron ore project uh, in, in in Brazil. So, uh, so uh, the, the company over the past few months has moved to consolidate its uh, holdings uh, in Australia. Um, two key holdings there: it has it has uh, holdings in in lithium supplies and lithium technologies. Those have been Consolidated into uh, in, into holdings in um, in Evergreen Lithium, and Evergreen Lithium is shortly going to list on the uh, on the uh, ASX. So, of course, uh, what that will uh, do is crystallise the uh, the value of the Cadence stake. And once the IPO takes place, at present that uh, valuation is estimated to be just under four million Australian dollars. So. That's uh, that. That of course is something that uh, will be a crystallization event and a value inflection event for Cadence. So uh, we then move to Hastings Technology Metals. Of course, for many years, Cadence owned um, a number of uh, uh, interests at the Yanjibana Rare Earth Project in Western Australia and in, in the Gascoigne region. And uh, the Yanjibana project has developed substantially. It's uh, set to become one of the key sources for rare earths uh, outside of China. And as such, this was recognised by the Australian government, uh, who uh, provided a 140 million uh, Aussie dollar investment uh, last year uh, through the the, uh, infrastructure funds. So hugely important. And of course, that really has helped crystallise value for Hastings. the thing is, of course, the lithium price uh, uh, does uh, d- does uh, uh, trade uh, trade up and down, and we're seeing we've seen a fall in the price of lithium over the past few weeks, um, which is probably as much as anything else accounts for what has been a, a, a fall by a few percentage points for the the Cadence share price. But um, of course, what uh, what Cadence uh, did, uh, and I think it was a very canny move to do this. They sold their interests to the site owner and operator Hastings, uh, which um, which uh, is uh, it means that Cadence now holds 2.45 million shares in ASX listed uh, Hastings Tech Metals, 
Um, that's just under two percent of the company, um, and that's uh, that's uh, a valuation at present of two point two six million Australian dollars. So that's the Australian uh, um, element dealt with. Then, of course, we move to Europe. Uh, Cadence has long held a stake in European Metals Holdings, a London-listed company. Uh, the uh, the shares in in EMH uh, also move with the with the cost of lithium, and of course they they've moved in line with that recently. Cadence currently has a seven percent stake in uh, in, in that company. So uh, so so of course based on that uh, share price, uh, that's a pretty uh, a pretty chunky holding given that uh, given that um, EMH is 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 worth where the, the value that it is nowadays. And of course uh, EMH has a a, a, a stake in the Sinovec lithium project in Czechoslovakia, which is half owned by CEZ, the East European Utilities Giant. So we then come to the Sonora Lithium project, which is in Mexico, and uh, Cadence has a stake there in the Mexilit and Megalit uh, concessions. And of course, uh, Ganfeng, the China lithium giant, uh, basically has, has acquired the project. So on the uh, the Mexilit and Megalit uh, concessions, Cadence holds a 30% stake, Ganfeng holds the other 70%. So there was, of course, been some, there has, of course, been some uncertainty recently over um, the moves by the Mexican government to, um, to, to, uh, to uh, uh, pass a decree to reform the domestic energy sector. And this uh, included statements to the effect that lithium would be in, among the, the minerals considered for the energy uh, transition uh, in the country. Um, but uh, they've, the decree, uh, it's, it's uh, worth noting, um, is impacts on licenses, concessions and contracts yet to be granted. And of course, um, uh, existing concessions in Sonora remain safe and of course the property of the owners and operators. So of course, with these concessions already you know, very late stage in terms of, of their development, relatively speaking, um, those won't be impacted by the Mexican government decree. So that's hugely important because, of course, working with gang, gang fame, there's still an awful lot of value to be realised there. And then, of course, we come to the Amaparano project, which is uh, which is was the former Anglo-American uh, uh, asset owned by Anglo-American back in 2012, valued at $600 million on their books. That's $600 $600 million alone. And of course, Cadence now have a 30% stake. They can move to a 49% stake. They have first right of refusal to do that. So that is worth a huge amount of money, you know, by any standards. Um, the uh, a pre-feasibility study was published for a mapper early this year. And of course, uh, some recommendations were made in that, uh, which includes uh, looking at uh, some geology to the north of the existing Amapa resource. And of course, the existing Amapa resource includes the mine, all the mine workings, the railway that takes the uh, the uh, the ore to the port in Amapa for shipping, um, where there are already uh, uh, many, many hundreds of tons of iron ore pellets awaiting shipments. Um, and th there are several uh, recommendations from the PFS, but of course that will uh, result in a definitive feasibility study after which it's anticipated uh, the Amapa iron ore mine will come back on stream. And of course, that will be, uh, at the stage that happens, uh, it's, it'll be absolutely transformational for Cadence. So I'm scratching my head to understand why the shares are still trading here. 
well, they, they've come down and traded down as far as uh, 12 and a half P. I mean, we're, we're, um, we're, we're at uh, a 13 P at the moment as I, as I speak, market cap of 23 million. Now, I mean, if you take, uh, if you take the Amapa stake alone, if Cadence moved to a, uh, if they moved to a 49% stake there, so if we, you know, if, if we just take the, the old valuation of that Anglo-American put on it, then we've got uh, at their current standing, they've got um, a valuation of $180 million. So um, that's just a map by itself. And then you look at the other listed assets where they have, where they're able to convert those readily to cash. I think uh, the company's hugely undervalued. Um, and indeed, that view is also, uh, that view is also shared by the uh, broker Kemeny Capital that's put a note out this morning. A uh, lot of detail in it. You can, of course, go to that link and download that note. Um, Cadence is, in my view, huge undervalued and is, I think, it represents a huge opportunity for investors right now. Indeed, indeed. Certainly a company to have a look at if you have an interest in particular in, in lithium at the moment. That's a, a particularly interesting sector. We did earlier on this year, the beginning of the year, actually, uh, 20 lithium stocks to watch this year. Cadence was included, as well as Core Lithium, which operates a project which is very near to Cadence's Evergreen project in northern Australia. Um, so if you do see that article, do have a look at them and you can see the sorts of grades that they have secured over on that project. So moving on now, Alan, to the final company we're going to discuss today. It's Kivango Resources, uh, one that we have discussed on the podcast previously. Uh, what's the latest updates from them? Well, Kivango uh, uh, published a strategic update this morning. Uh, just to say, the shares are currently trading at uh, 1.15p. They're down a bit after that strategic update. But um, but uh, the, the company, uh, it, it's worth really understanding a few things and where the company is right now. So late last year, the company raised three and a half million quid. And this is, you know, when you've got a market cap of 8.1 million, you know, to raise that sort of money uh, shows huge confidence by investors in the quality of the assets owned by the company. Um, And these, of course, include the uh, prospects in the Kalahari Suture Zone, which uh, uh, has been modelled by the company, potentially to become a a huge nickel asset, in similar in size to the Norilsk uh, uh, mine in Siberia, which, of course, uh, has a very similar magnetic signature under the earth. And if you go to the Kavango website, there are are plenty of slides there on the latest presentations showing the modelling for those assets. So uh, the company also has assets in the Kalahari Copper Belt. Um, uh, uh, Part of the assets are held under a, a, a company called Kenya Resources, which owns assets in the Kalahari Copper Belt, and also a rare earth, rare earth project at the Ditao Farmers Project. All of this is, in co- of course, in Botswana, um, which is a, a, a very benign uh, uh, mining-friendly state. Um, and also on the on the uh, on the Kalahari Copper Belt, uh, the company has uh, two further joint ventures with LVR Geo Explorers. But the strategic review that was published this morning was uh, was brief but concise. Um, 
the the company is going to conduct focused exploration on the great red spot that is identified in the Kalahari Suta zone, uh, which includes all the conductors identified uh, and discussed in recent announcements. Um, you know, remember this is the one that resembles the Norilsk mine in Siberia. Uh, the company is also going to continue further field work and drilling across the Kara the Kalahari Copper Belt, uh, in particular across the Karakubis block that's identified there. Um, and there's also an IOCG uh, 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 model that the company has identified there too, iron oxide, copper and gold model uh, across here. And of course, the uh, the um, the opportunity there at the Ditao Farms project. Um, Kavanga has also said its commercial team is going to seek direct project funding to finance uh, two-year exploration for, uh, programs for these these projects um, and it's advanced all three projects to the point where direct finance will enable the company to pursue far more extensive exploration and indeed if you follow Kavango and look at the tweets that uh, the company put out for instance or look at the pictures on social media you'll see these these vast plains uh, you know some beautiful scenery but vast areas which of course uh, um, are accessible by road but uh, you know they, they require considerable logistical input to to ensure that uh, those those developments uh, and and the programs a take place and b are on time and of course c uh, when we get to the pre-feasibility study uh, point uh, which is of course looking at how the asset that's under the ground there can be turned into a mine or turned into something commercial um, then there's all of the financing considerations there before you then get to DFS, which is the definitive feasibility study that uh, um, actually looks at the execution of the build and, of course, getting the product out and into market. Um, the company has also said it's going to seek to acquire prospective metal exploration targets uh, across the across southern Africa. Um, and it says, again, you know, follow the, following the strategic financing uh, late last year, it's well positioned to take advantage of that um, and of course it's got a very skilled team of people including uh, the chief operations uh, officer Brett Grist who's uh, very experienced in the field and uh, and uh, also uh, the team of geologists there Jeremy Brett in particular very experienced geologist who uh, who put together and, and was involved in exploring the very same region some 25 years before Kavango came along so he's got very uh, real in-depth knowledge of the of, of the Kalahari Suta zone, in particular, so uh, the company is going to deliver more updates uh, uh, ongoing. But uh, but certainly the group, I think, uh, again, you know, the shares are hugely oversold, considering that the uh, the assets the company has at its disposal. And uh, you know, I fully expect to see the company advance its projects and deliver further news to to the markets in in very short order. Indeed, indeed. I mean, it's quite interesting just looking at these two companies that we discussed here, Cadence and Kavango. And, you know, look at the share price and a lot of particularly good news over the last year. And I think this is really a symptom of the the sector, the junior minor sector. It's one that we're doing a little bit of work on here at UK Investor Magazine and looking at some correlations between things such as consumer confidence, of course, investor sentiment, some of the key economic um, forward indicators there. And if you look back over the last 10 or 20 years and how this sector moves, it's actually quite interesting because there isn't so much in the way of, of relevance to underlying fundamentals. Rather, 
than how people are feeling. You know, if people are feeling good and they're feeling upbeat about the economy, it's a sector that people buy into and you tend to see valuations that, that are fairly well valued. If we're in a situation that we're in at the moment where there's some question marks being asked, of course, at the beginning, we talked about inflation. Um, consumers are obviously in a cost of living crisis at the moment. You know, it, it does have an impact on this sector. But as soon as you start to see those um, concerns alleviated on the economy, it's one that really does get uh, get moving pretty quickly. And we're working on, uh, on a few articles and pieces here that we'll be putting out in the next few weeks so do keep an eye out for those we'll let you know when they've been published on the podcast as well so alan thank you much for being the podcast today thank you john so just as a final note we've got a number of investor presentations and virtual investor presentations coming up in the next couple of weeks tomorrow we're hosting finu the aim listed fintech company they've recently gained their banking license from the fca and pra they're going to be presenting and letting investors know about their next steps we have govx presenting next week at uranium exploration company as well as the next installment of our investment trusts conferences we've got four different investment trusts presenting do check out the events section of the UK Investor Magazine website for further details on all of those events. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.